Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. Today's guest name is Kevin McCarthy. Kevin is the partner and owner of On Purpose Partners and the author of On Purpose Person, On Purpose Business Person, and the creator of the On Purpose Principle. As you can tell, Kevin is all about purpose. And what I really enjoyed about Kevin in our conversation was that he didn't just come up with this term and this whole philosophy by accident. He was in real estate and finding out that most of these real estate investors didn't have a business plan. So then he backed into helping them build a business plan so that way he can do the real estate deals. And he was super frustrated because he was realizing that none of these strategic plans were getting put in place. And it's because individuals that are entrepreneurs and business owners didn't know who they were or why they were doing anything. So Kevin has been on a multi-decade journey trying to reinvent how a business owner and entrepreneur looks at themselves and their business. And he even addresses how we as entrepreneurs have this fear of being exposed that we don't have it all figured out and we don't necessarily have a game plan for our purpose and where we're going. He's also the creator of the term chief leadership officer because he thinks that CEO is an outdated terminology with not a lot of relevancy to today's world. So we need to be chief leadership officers and we can only do that if we know who we are and what our purpose is. So Kevin and I in our conversation dive into his on-purpose principles, how to find your purpose, what tools you can apply, and then he's got a ton of really great stories from us from his experience. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode with Kevin. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by The Valley Advantage. The Valley Advantage is a platform delivered via peer groups and or one-on-one to help you build a valuable company that can thrive without you while putting an exit plan in place so you have the options to sell when you want to who you want for how much you want. You're able to manage the business by the numbers, work in the business as much or as little as you want, and you fully understand how the business impacts your personal financials. If you want to know more, check out the show notes or the website. Good morning, Kevin. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. Good to be with you. I'm glad that uh, Tana Green introduced us because uh, you have an awesome philosophy and background that changed the direction that she was bringing her company. And and it's the chief leadership officer titles, what she originally brought up to me on our show. Um, But for our listeners, can you go back? Because you've been the president and owner of On Purpose, your business, for quite a few years. And can you just give us the backdrop on how you started it and what the whole uh, premise of it is? Sure. Uh, Well, first of all, I've been very entrepreneurial since I was a little kid. So that's an important aspect of that. But I also, when I came through college and then graduate business school, I realized that I needed to learn a lot more about business and just sort of going at it raw. So I I often describe myself as kind of, uh, uh, you know, an entrepreneur who's got a classical business education in terms of that. I found that if I could understand the language and the methods of business, then I'd be a much better entrepreneur. And I'd like to believe that's true. But um, anyway, so what happened is I started off out of graduate business school and um, I was working in the commercial real estate business. I became a uh, went to work with a company called the Trammell Crow Company 
was only with them for a short period of time, and the entrepreneurial bug got a hold of me, and I started a, a greeting card company of all things called Corporate Cackles. It was the first ever uh, business-related greeting card line, and that was a that was a tough business. And I kept my hand in the, the real estate, and the real estate sort of took off. And then I became a commercial real estate developer. We were doing shopping centers, uh, industrial parks, and some things like that. And then I had a business divorce. I'm sure a few people have faced those sorts of things where I had a business partner who was 15 years older than I was. The day I met him, I said to my wife, today I met a man who's either a madman or a genius. And I was right. He was both. Um, And so uh, it's just kind of one of those things where when that business divorce happened, I decided to start over. I started a real estate advisory business because I always had this love of business. And then that emerged into a general management strategy business. Uh, the company, our, our official company title is U.S. Partners, Inc., but we actually do business as on-purpose partners. Uh, that's just really history. Uh, back then, we were U.S. partners. And so um, from that, I began to realize, because I was working primarily with um, mid-market uh, CEOs, and what I found is a lot of them needed had real estate needs, but they didn't really understand what their real estate needs were because they didn't have necessarily business plans in place. And they were running the business out of their head. And so I began to do to do the real estate right. I needed to back into doing business planning. So I began to look at workflow, people, requirements, what their growth is. And I, and I ended up doing business planning. Uh, unfortunately, what would happen is I would do the business planning in order to get the real estate deal, but sometimes I wouldn't get the real estate deal. And all I would do is just give them a whole bunch of great information and stuff to help them grow their businesses. And finally, I said, I need to get paid for this. (laughs) So I started just doing the business planning side. But then I realized that a lot of these people that were doing this, the reason they didn't have good business plans is because they didn't have a sense of purpose and meaning in their lives. They didn't have a life plan either. So I eventually, this is again in the mid 80s, I'm working on this and I'm having these conversations and people are looking at me like I'm from Mars because I'm talking about the purpose of your life and the purpose of your business and are they aligned and, um, and, and it's nobody was talking about purpose in the 80s or if very few people were. Mm-hmm. And, not, and especially the way that I was speaking of purpose, I have very specific definitions to it that we'll probably get to. But um, so I began to really look at this and, and I saw that there was this big gap in the market between, particularly in the mid-market people. The, the large corporate companies are often difficult because they're so outward driven by you know earnings per share and some things like that. But that person that owns their business, the type of person you work with who's got a business, they may be looking at an exit strategy or wanting to keep their business and make it better and better and better. Those are the type of people that I really enjoy working with. Um, and what I found for a lot of them is that they had sort of fallen into almost a set of their self, sort of self-imposed golden handcuffs that they have this business that was making money and they didn't necessarily enjoy the business anymore or they were doing things off purpose. Uh, they, they were now having to make, to become something that they weren't and they didn't either have the capacity for that or the desire for that. And so, but this business was making money and they were somewhat unhappy and they may created an unhappy culture. And so I, I kept saying that work is neutral the business is neutral. You bring the meaning and purpose to it. So what I was doing was trying to find out deep in their heart, sort of in their soul and their spirit, why do you exist in this world? How do you make a difference? And I then developed a methodology to help people write two-word purpose statements. 
then articulate their vision, then articulate their missions, and then articulate their values. So the articulation of purpose, vision, mission, and values for an individual was really important. Then the same thing was done for the organization. How cool. I, I can't, I mean, I don't think I've ever met anybody that went from trying to do a real estate deal that all of a sudden merged into finding people's passion and purpose. I mean, that that's a interesting transition, but the way that you articulated makes it, I mean, a ton of sense. Yeah, I migrated into it backwards. I mean, sort of reverse engineered into it. Although I'd always had an interest from the time I was little, I read the book, I'm okay, you're okay, when I was like 12 years old. And that book really touched my life because I realized I could choose my life. Uh, that If I talk got anything from that book way back when, that was it. I could choose my life differently. And I didn't have to be a victim to circumstances or to other people. And while I was just a kid, that that philosophy took root in my life. And, you know, uh, 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 I'm just not a person who deals with a lot of, you know, unrest or anxiety. I mean, I just, I, I just kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't hit me. I'm not saying I'm bulletproof, but it, uh, as a result, I just look at it and say, okay, I'm responsible for me, period. Mm -hmm. Have you, I don't want to take us too much down a, a rabbit hole, but are you, do you practice stoicism at all? I don't. So, okay, I, I won't go down that route because it's it's a lot about being aware of your environment and how you can react to your emotions and you being in control of your emotions, but not necessarily your environment. It's, a, it's a, some cool stuff. So, I yeah, with this whole purpose thing, to kind of go back to the, the main point of what you're saying, did you realize, you know, as you're, my guess is it was through interactions that you're talking to these entrepreneurs where you see the, you know, the lost part of their eyes or kind of the deer in the headlights. I mean, where do you think, you know, in your, you know, to kind of bring us back to this journey of, you know, how you're taking people back on track and onto purpose, but do you believe at some point that these entrepreneurs were on track and on purpose or did they have the wrong alignment to begin with? Like what, what do you think the progression was? Well, I'll give you an analogy that I like to use, and, and, and that is I used to teach tennis professionally at one point in my life um, when I was in my teens and through college and even through graduate business school. I helped pay my way by being a tennis pro, teaching pro, not a playing pro. And one of the things I found is it's a lot like tennis or any sport or some hobby or something that when you first learn it, there's something about it that attracts you to it. There's a spark. And, and then you start to go and you do it. And it, the best thing to do is go get somebody who's already doing it well and they can teach you like a tennis pro to teach you how to play tennis or a golf pro to teach you how to play golf. You know, a lot of people just grab a racket or clubs and they go out and they hit and they develop all of these bad habits. But that doesn't mean that they don't have fun. But then they get frustrated because their game levels off. And so I think a lot of it is that most of these entrepreneurs, they start off with something that sparks them, that says, that's what I'm interested in. That's cool. That's fun. Like I've got a 26-year-old son who went to Rhodes College in Memphis, has a liberal arts degree. You know, we spent all the money on him and the kid goes and he's got a summer internship one time and he's got time on his hands in the middle of the day and he goes to a welding college and just to just because he always wanted to learn how to weld. And now, guess what? He's got a welding business hmm. because he fell in love with welding. Cool. And now he's adding, he's going through all the things. At 26, he's, he's got a business partner now, and he has to deal with a business partner. He has to deal with employees. He has to deal with people that don't pay him. Um, he has to learn what it means to lead a bunch of people and not be a jerk. You know, there's just all these things that are going on. So in some regards, I'm like watching this. I'm having a ball watching my son go through all of this. 
because uh, he's just making all these mistakes. And yet I can say to him, Charles, you know, just try this or do this. So, but what what happens is we get this spark, but then the 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 capabilities and the the competencies that one has to develop to run a business are so much different than what it takes to be a welder. It's kind of like Michael Gerber's The E-Myth, uh, which is just a great book mm-hmm. that sort of describes that transition from what he calls an entrepreneurial seizure. You know, a welder who has an entrepreneurial seizure and says, I'm going to do a business and what it actually takes to have a business where you have to deal with insurance, income taxes, accounting. You know, it's, it's so far from welding that most people don't make that shift. And, and so what happens is some people are, do make that change, but they never really, they lose sight of what it was that got them excited in the beginning. And do you see a lot of people that like, yeah, I can't remember the halftime calls it smoldering discontent, or there's like this kind of purgatory. I mean, do you see, you know, of the people that you're interacting with, I mean, how many people are just stuck in that area? Well, again, I'm probably going to be biased because the people who call me are generally the ones that are stuck. So I see a lot of people that are sort of stuck in that area. And uh, and or uh, I also get people who are saying, wow, my business is going crazy good. And it just feels like it's it's rapidly getting out of control. And I, I don't know how to bring how, how to bring it, bring it back in and how to just put the systems and strategies and structures in place that I need to be able to continue to keep this going because I'm afraid it's going to implode on me. So I have some people that are forward looking and are just kind of like, I'm in over my head. What do I do? I was going to say, so, you know, and then we can kind of go into your methodology and your definitions and stuff like that. But, you know, as someone is, what's the first question they ask you? What's the first thing that happens to someone to realize this? Those are two separate uh, questions. Yeah, probably. usually there's there's a there's a uh, defining moment where they will either sometimes if it's you know I've had companies that are like 270 million and they call me when they they're now at 70 million so they're on the skids or you know they're they're at seven hundred thousand dollars and they're on their way down to 150 that's something that, that re, there's a big reversal trend that's going on and they're scared so that's often the time whenever i get the call which is holy mackerel we need help and a lot of that is a moment of humility and unfortunately what happens i think in a lot of us in business i have always said that the greatest fear that most you know mid-sized small business owners have is the fear of exposure mm-hmm. that if they really understood i don't know what i'm doing but I've got to put on these sort of airs, like I know what's going on, I'm in charge, my ego can't allow me because I'm the boss. But the fear of exposure is is there. And and once once the exposure is occurring where it's like, uh-oh, I can't hide from this anymore, the bank's on my case, or, or creditors are on my case, or people are turning over rapidly, the word's gotten out, now they get serious. And um, until they're humble and serious, uh, I, they're not, I'm not, they're not ready for me. Mm-hmm. That's that. Uh, yeah. You've, I think you summarized a lot of entrepreneurs. I mean, you got, you got the fit, the fake facade of, you got to pretend and you got your shit together all the time. <laughs> right. So, okay. Now we, uh, you know, you've got this on purpose brand, you've got this on purpose methodology. Can you explain to us what, it, what does purpose mean for you? Sure. Uh, I actually, there's a, I have a little guy called me on purpose pal and if I may, let me put them in context of purpose, vision, mission, and values. Mm-hmm. Um, my belief is that the purpose, vision, mission, and values are the language of leadership and strategy. So when the language of leadership and strategy are confused, 
then the, the strategy and leadership of a company is confused. Therefore, the company is confused. Therefore, it's not getting its value proposition correct. And it's not, it, it just, there's a ripple of problems everywhere down the income statement and on the balance sheet. Every line item is touched by this challenge. So purpose is your reason for being. It's answering the question, why am I here? It's a matter of the heart. And uh, you know what's interesting is most people can agree that there's a thing called mind, body, and spirit. We understand what to do to feed our bodies. We understand what to do to feed our minds by getting an education, learning, reading, listening to podcasts like you're doing. But how do we feed our spirit? And, some pe- and this is not you know, necessarily going to church, although there's nothing wrong with going to church. But it's called, how do I feed my spirit and, and know who I am at a deep place? So purpose is part of answering this question of this who am I question by understanding why you're here. Vision, and I symbolize that by the heart. So if you were to draw a big heart, that would be it. Then above that heart, if you draw a big circle for a head, that's your vision. And you put some eyes on it. That's your vision or what's in your mind's eye. That's your dream. That's what you're imagining. So when an entrepreneur sees their company in, you know, as a visionary, maybe two to three years out, and we could do this and we could do this and I can have this software package and I can then uh, train these people and we can expand to this market or I can have five stores instead of one, whatever it may be that they've got going on. That's the vision that they have. And that's saying, where are we going? And then the missions are symbolized by the hands and the feet. And the hands have, you know, five fingers on each hand for most of us and five fingers and toes and everything. So there's lots of little missions that are along the way. But the big missions are what do you do? And it's symbolized by the hands and the feet and the color yellow. So the heart is red, the purpose, the vision is blue, the blue sky thinking, and uh, the dreams that are possible. And the hands and feet are yellow, symbolizing that this is what I do. So where purpose is why, vision is what I see, and missions are doing. Um, then if you, so we, we're, I'm sort of painting a picture for him. We mm-hmm. call him the on purpose pal, and I've got a free download that people can get uh, um, in the show notes too, for everybody. Yeah. Too. So if they want to just, uh, go to the show notes and there'll be a picture of them. Okay. That'd be great. Yeah. I call him the on purpose pal. And so anyway, what, what you've got then is in the throat and in the gut, this is where your values are. So if I, if I ask you to violate your values, then you're going to feel it in your throat. You're going to have this choking response. And uh, you're like, ah, ah, like Joan Rivers used to go, ah, 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 you know, type of thing. <laughs> so it, it's that sort of an experience that you're having. And then if you, if you violate your values, you feel it in your gut and you're like, oh man, my stomach's turning on this one, or I've got a gut feel that something's not right about this. Or, uh, so, so what I'm able to do is tie these, these language of leadership and strategy to parts of the body. So it's the heart, the head, the hands and feet along with the throat and the gut. So when your heart, your head, and your hands are aligned within your values, you're on your purpose. And what I found is this is actually a very simple, uh, it's simple for me perhaps, but for a lot of people, if they don't have the methodology, it's like they haven't gone to a tennis pro to learn how to play tennis. So they've grabbed the racket and they've developed all these bad habits and they have all of these things and they're wondering why their game or why their business can't get any better. It's because they have, they have self-limitations that they have imposed because they're not getting that sort of correction that they need at the deepest part of their game, if you will. Right. And, and so when we articulate purpose, vision, mission, and values and then say, now let's put together the plans to create the alignment. Now let's find the people and educate your people, train them to it, 
Now let's put the processes in place. Let that inform your processes. And then we're going to move it into your performance to serve the customers that you've identified as your, as your core target audiences. Well, and, and I like how you've tied together a lot of the strategic stuff, like you said, and which makes sense based on your, your story of how you got there, because it's the strategic planning. They don't have that because they don't know who they are and what their purpose is. And, you know, the things that my experience, whether it's my personal experience or with the customers that I work with or people I talk to, I mean, you know, there's this. There's a lot of, uh, I don't even know how you'd want to articulate, like, like whether it's the traction model or the Rockefellers, everything's about like, what does the company want? Is it, you know, 50 million, 100 million, or like how many employees or how many markets? There's all this specific business strategy, but there's not enough of the integration of the person. So how, how do you align those two, which is, which is why I love Tana Green's episode, because she obviously worked with you and you were able to figure out how to align those two. But I think that's what the entrepreneurs are missing, where the, the fire in their soul about why they're doing what they're doing, not just some you know technical benchmark that they're going to hit. Because again, once you get there, it's just as empty as when you started. Yeah, well, the first, the first straw man that I have to knock down is that work is the source of meaning. It is not your source of meaning. Work is neutral. Your business is not your source of meaning. It may be your source of provision, but it's not your source of meaning. So that if the business fails, it doesn't mean you're a failure. Um, so let's dive into that a little bit, because I think I think everybody that I've talked to, are, and even myself, agrees with that. But mm -hmm. then everybody I actually talk to, that is usually the case. Whether you know it, it, they identify themselves in their industry and in their trade association, how many their customers, all that stuff. So. How do you break down that straw? I mean, I mean that that is such a hard one, especially if you got decades of owning a business that you're calloused around that. What if you have no idea who you are outside of your business? Um, well, and that's why uh, what I do is I help people write individually a personal two-word purpose statement. So the reason I do two-word purpose statements is the simplicity of them, and they have a generic beginning. So the generic beginning for an individual is I exist to serve by. And then they have a statement like liberating greatness or awakening worth or igniting joy. So what I'm doing is I'm giving them an action, a gerund, like awakening, liberating, igniting. And I'm matching it with an object such as joy, hope, greatness, uh, promise, or whatever it may be. And by creating those with this generic beginning of I exist to serve by liberating greatness. Now, you can see if let's just take a purpose statement like liberating greatness. Mm -hmm. What you can do with that is you can look at it and say, wow, here's my, here's who I am. And I can give you a story of a, a guy who, whose purpose statement was liberating greatness. And in his life, he had gone through some really traumatic childhood stuff where he was labeled developmentally retarded. This is back in the old days whenever they used the word retarded. And so I'm not trying to be yep. Yep, politically right. offensive or anything like that. And then uh, as he matured, he had a teacher that realized that this kid had brains, but he didn't believe he did. And he became a drunk, and, but he was successful. He became an engineer, then he became a lawyer. And so he, he was living this, this, this facade of this very successful lawyer who is a corporate lawyer doing all these things. And yet this drunk scared to death person who was afraid of being exposed for what he was. And then it was one day a friend of his found him drunk on the side of a road, a guy that he worked with and said, come with me, I'm taking you to AA. And he went to AA and that's where he was liberated his greatness. And he said, my business was liberating greatness in others, but I had to have my greatness liberated. And until I was able to kind of come to terms with who I was, then 
I could see the greatness that was built into me that I never knew was there. Mm-hmm. And so he, he created this alignment that I, I just remember it so clearly the day that we wrote his two word purpose statement. And it was just, it was just the coolest thing. And, um, and then he, it, but it made all of a sudden all the craziness of his life, it, it became, it was redeemed and it became valuable as opposed to a source of embarrassment or a sense of shame or failure. It was like, there's a reason why I went through being a drunk. There's a reason why I went through uh, the challenges that I went through in my marriage and my business, my whatever it may be that somebody's facing, that somehow that purpose statement is a gyroscope that tends to keep us centered. Less we know we now know who we are. So we don't have to spend time either putting on facades or taking them off. And if somebody calls you a jerk or cuts you off in traffic, you just look at it and say, that's their problem. Okay, you know, it's, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let their, their issue get in my way. So, uh, this, this sense of using a two word purpose statement to really orient one's life. And then you look at it and say, okay, if my purpose statement is liberating greatness and, you know, Ryan, I'll use you as an example. What's your dream? You got your software you're doing. Yeah. My dream is to help entrepreneurs maximize all of the hard work and sacrifice in their personal lives that they've, that they've endured. Okay. That's not a two words. <laughs> no, no, no. But now I was trying to get a sense of what your vision is. You know, yeah, so let's just say yours was liberating greatness. Yeah. Let's just borrow that one for you for now. I'm not saying it's right for you, yeah. but then you look at it and say, I'm trying to liberate the greatness of these entrepreneurs. This is in my work life. Mm-hmm. In, in these entrepreneurs and all the great things they've done that they may or may not even recognize. They may be undervaluing. They may not have the systems, strategies, and structures in place that they need. But if we put those in place, they can experience that greatness. That gives me joy to liberate their greatness. Right. To make them happy. To make them happy. Right. And so um, then you also look at liberating greatness and you say, okay, now, Ryan, I don't know. Are you married? Yep. Okay. So how are you liberating greatness in your wife? How are you liberating greatness in your children, if you have them? How are you liberating greatness in the way you invest your money or spend your money? How are you liberating greatness in your own health and well-being? How are you liberating greatness in your intellectual life? Yeah, it's it's a it's a balance. It's not a balance, and it should be right. <laughs> no, it's not a balance. You're exactly right. It's not a balance. It's an integration because balance is a false concept. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So what you're ultimately doing is you're trying to integrate your life, and your purpose is the point of integration. It's almost like a prism where you have a white light that shines in to the purpose statement and it out comes that rainbow of colors that you give it expression into these various areas of life. Now, I promise you, I don't have my act together on this, okay? I'm broken just as much as the next person. So this is mm-hmm. not about perfection. It's about making progress. But what I found is when you have this kind of progress that's constantly going on, Life is a lot easier. It's not easy, but it's easier because you're not beating yourself up so much. You're not trying to put on your airs. You're not trying to pretend to be somebody you aren't. Um, you can be much more real. I mean, Ryan, you've got a real natural, authentic manner about you. It's probably because you're comfortable in your own skin. That's all we're trying to do is help people be more comfortable within their skin. So how do you, you know, the, the, challenge whether whether again the reason i'm doing the podcast is our own hiccups in business and life and the challenges that life has brought us but how do you you know if you're an entrepreneur my, my biggest question of and i've asked multiple guests this and i've had various responses between, between just taking time or whatever but i think that's just not naturally ingrained in entrepreneurs how do you figure this out without having a tragedy <laughs> i just can't 
get a real answer behind that or yeah. that's the only answer. <laughs> well, I mean, no, what you do, I mean, I've, I've actually done this with entrepreneurs where I'm talking to them and I'll say to them, okay, you, you've called me in. Here's what I'm doing for you right now. I'm giving you a heart attack. <laughs> so oh, I'm picking up the phone. I'm dialing 911. The paramedics are going to be here in two minutes. Uh, you are dying on the table. We're, we're performing CPR on you. And now you have to decide how important is your business? So I give people heart attacks, pretend. Yep. And I'll say to them, now tell me how important is that business? Do you have time for that, that appointment that, that has to be this afternoon? It's gone because guess what? You're either dead or you're in the hospital, but you're not at that appointment. Yep. So uh, unless, you know, like, unless you're a surgeon where somebody dies, most of our, most of our businesses, we, we overestimate, we're, we over dramatize the importance of it i mean like it would so, not, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah we over dramatize the importance of it because to us it's so important but you know it's no different than when we were a kid and and maybe failed a math test in fifth grade i mean who the heck even remembers if i failed a math test in fifth grade and it was such trauma at the time so do you think that there's things that entrepreneurs do to themselves with their business to make the whole business and world revolve around the, the next crucial decision that, I mean, how do you free yourself from that, that golden handcuffs or that anxiety that you were talking about? Um, I, I tend to tell people, look at an amortization chart because most people understand what an amortization chart is. And I'll say to them, if you're in debt to your business, I'm not talking about financial debt, but if you feel like you're caught and trapped, then we're going to use an amortization chart like approach, which is the first the first mortgage payment you make on an amortization chart, 99.9% .9 of it is interest and 1% is principal. And by the time you get to that last payment, 20 years, 30 years later, depending on how long it is, you're now paying almost very little, uh, almost all principal, very little interest. So what we've got to do is we've got to take advantage of that and say you, you have to go in small incremental steps. If you're that stuck, if you if you feel like you're that caught in that kind of a, a place. Now, most of the time, whenever I explain it to people and they say, well, I don't have that much time. I don't have, I don't have that kind of time. I say, well, then fine. You can trade off money and put an investment in, in hiring some talent to help you with some things. You can, you know, you can sort of prepay. You can, you know, pay on some mm -hmm. mortgages, like double up your mortgage payment. And now we can get you more time because at some level, we've got to have your time put into this. You know, it's interesting. I had dinner last night was a, with a woman who's got a business, she's a very small entrepreneur. It was just a friend I was, uh, a favor I was doing for a friend. And she could make uh, in her business $100 an hour, but she's spending all of her time doing $25 an hour work. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I pointed out to her and I said, you know, you at $25 an hour, you can't even hire somebody to do what you're doing. Yep. So you can't replace yourself. If you do more of your business, you're just going to be more, you're just going to burn yourself out. So we've got to move you to where you can go from $25 an hour work to $100 an hour work. And in much the same way, we entrepreneurs often don't value our time. And so if you look at it and say, take the highest price you've ever paid for a lawyer per hour, let's say it's $400 an hour and say, I'm the business owner and I'm hiring this guy. Therefore, I'm worth more than that lawyer. So what is my time worth $400 an hour? When is my time worth $500 an hour? When is my time worth $1,000 an hour? That's where you want to, that's, that's where your, your real value to your company is. 
and everything else you you begin to look at and say what else can i delegate yeah i mean it's because it, even looking up becomes a challenge if you don't do that correct and at some point it was interesting i remember I, I had somebody say to me i don't think i'll quote it exactly right but he said um i would never hire somebody to do work for me at $50 an hour when I see they're doing $10 an hour work in their own business. Oh, interesting. That, right. That, ooh, I like that a lot. Cause this ties into, you know, at the actual execution of what you're saying too, because, you know, the entrepreneurs in the mid market or the, the, the people that listen to this, it, it, you just feel like you have to do everything. And, you know, every hire, every investment, it comes directly out of your pocket. You know, so it's like this right when you feel like you're kind of turning the corner, you got to double down and you constantly have to be reinvesting. But so like, how do you, you know, look at maybe look at that amortization schedule and say, okay, here's how I have to balance or integrate my time and the actual work that's being done. Yes. And, and see what's also, what's kind of cool is I have a term for this. Uh, it's a book that I'm going to write one day. Uh, I haven't written it yet, but my term for it is called helegation. <laughs> and helegation is the state in which an entrepreneur finds him or herself when they feel like they can't delegate. They've put themselves into helegation. That's probably a lot of people that I know. I mean, whether it's even if they've got a big company and it's just their executive team that they're all paying, you know, in the six figures and they still can't figure out how to get that person <laughs> to do some of the stuff that they're doing. Right. And, and, and again, again, if you understand you're in helegation, that's, that's the beginning of the, the winning the battle. Because mm -hmm. now you're looking at how do I get free from this? But a lot of times people don't see themselves. They're fish in water that don't understand they're in water. That, and that water is soiled. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And, and so they, they continue to swim faster and faster and faster, thinking that somehow it's going to get better. You know, it's, it's just the unfortunate aspects of being an entrepreneur. And, and I suffer from it myself. I'm not saying, again, I don't hold myself out as the example. I speak from experience here, not from perfection. Okay? <laughs> well, I don't think anybody, I mean, yeah, e even the best uh, leaders out there are still constantly battling with themselves every single morning they wake up. I, I heard this uh, to go to... Um, piggyback off of your analogy i this i can't remember who told me but i was like when you figure out you're lost in the woods you have two options what do you do, do you run farther in whatever direction you're going or do you stop and you actually look up and plan <laughs> yeah there you are so with people understanding you know that there needs to be a purpose that's a higher level than just their business how because you know that we're working kind of, and we're talking, a lot of people the listeners are dealing with ex, exit plans or succession planning how do you figure out the purpose of who you are in the context of a succession plan and potential exit plan. I mean, I think you've worked with individuals in that state. How do you put those two kind of projects together? Well, um, generally, you know, our, we're hired often as consultants, but one of the things we do is we look at it and say, I mean, I'm, I'm get, I've gotten very, uh, I don't know what I call it diligent about this is maybe the best way to describe it. And that is that I'm used to working with CEOs, business owners, and so on and so forth. And I'll sit down and I'll say to them, look, um, we're not doing any of this until you're on board because I've, I've, I, I often get called in by larger companies where somebody's uh, maybe a middle manager or a senior in the executive suite or something like that, but the CEO is not bought in. And I basically sit there and say, look, until your CEO is, is buying into what we're about here, we can't really go forward. So I, I often start off with the CEO and then say, okay, now let's work with your team on the personal side. So we're looking, one of the things I'm trying to do is, is basically leadership. 
Mm-hmm. I think there's a uh, real misunderstanding of leadership. As I said, the, the language of leadership and strategy is, is misunderstood. Therefore, people's lives are misunderstood. Therefore, what leadership is, is misunderstood. And therefore, I'm trying to help people say, look, look, until you understand how your purpose, vision, mission, and values line up in, your, in this workplace, let's do it in the workplace, and why it's meaningful for you, and why then, uh, then it's not going to be meaningful for other people that are on your team until you have that. So we start with the CEO, then we look at the team. Again, not everybody's going to come on board perfectly, and I'm not trying to be dogmatic about it. Uh, there, there's, you know, different people are going to have different adoptions and different interests and proclivities for this, and some will and some won't. And, and then you look at the team. And so we have everything from individual executive coaching to the business consulting to the training and development side with the larger team so that you can create this alignment of the what I, I call it the on-purpose principle, where the purpose of the person is aligned with the purpose of the organization. Well, and and I love that. And in, in, in theory, it sounds fantastic. And I'm just trying to figure out like, so the, the challenge that I see, whether it's the uh, clients that we work with or, you know, people that have been uh, on the show who have exited where there's this challenge where like, like I just think about our old business for, for an example, where when you have to try and figure out you, your new purpose, when you're trying to figure out where you're going to go with this business, there's just so much emotional turmoil going on inside your head because you need to have a plan for the business to exit in some fat form or fashion, but then you also mm-hmm. need to figure out who the heck you are at the same time and find that potential successor. So there's all these different tensions happening, but you don't really necessarily know which way to go because you don't know who you are. But then you, the, and going back to that facade that you're talking about, the last thing you want to do is to expose to everybody who's going, I don't know who the heck I am and I don't know where we're going. So it's just like all these things kind of happen at once. And there's just this massive paralysis that I see. Call me. <laughs> that's exactly the plug. i love it no it's, yeah, it's, yeah i mean the bottom line is i mean yeah, what we no, do I, I, I get it i mean i've been there i understand it i see it every day it's i i get all those things that the real difference is you know that's why that's why you go to a tennis pro or yeah. that's why you go to a golf pro you say look something's not right with my game i'm not happy with the way it's going how do i fix this and they look at it and they go okay there's like when I taught tennis, I, I, one of the things I realized is I could look at a tennis player and I could tell you 15 things they were doing wrong. That's the easy part. The hard part is figuring out what is the one thing that is causing maybe nine of those 15 problems. The ripple effect. Yeah. And so you have to really understand the fundamentals of business, the fundamentals of leadership, the fundamentals. I don't understand the fundamentals of their business, perhaps. But I can, I'm smart enough to figure out some of those things and pull it out of them. And when you get to those fundamental things, that one thing that might shift everything, and that's what purpose does. Purpose is that it, right. it's, if there's a whole bunch of things off like you're describing, then purpose has the beginnings of writing it. That's R-I-G-H-T, writing it, Yeah. as opposed to continuing to, to sort of pile on it's kind of like building your house on sand versus solid ground well and the the sand that people are building that entrepreneurs are the sand that they're building these you know houses on is these ridiculous kpis that they've been measuring themselves for for decades about revenue or profit margins or you know orders or you know orders stuffed or packages shipped and they have no idea how to look up and go okay what's the why am i doing all this stuff (laughs) like what is 
Like, I mean, I was in a, I'm in a peer group and one individual like read, did a bunch of stuff. He's like, yeah, my, the packages that shipped are different. And I'm like, well, who cares? What's the perp? Why are you doing all this? It's not just to do packaging, you know, or t-shirts or whatever it is. So it's just trying to figure like, why the heck are you putting all the risk on the line and who are you in relationship to what you're doing? Right. No, I hear you. That's, and, and so it's the sort of thing where I have a, a thing called the, from the chief leadership officer book that I've got, there's a thing in there called the CLO integrity map. And the integrity map starts with purpose, vision, mission, and values. It goes to the strategic story. It goes to the business plan and communications plan. Then it branches off to, if you think of it as an income statement, to the, the, the sales and marketing side. Then it goes into the operations and culture side. And then it, it, they, they, re, they reconnect to create that, that user experience. And so what's going on is until people have a map, if you're lost in the woods like you're describing, well, yes, you got to look up. But ideally, you'll pull a map out from the back of your pocket <laughs> yeah. and say, wow, okay, I think I'm here. How do I get from here to there? And you try it. And so what I've found is, you know, again, because we're working with middle market companies so often, that what I've found is you have to move fast with them. They don't have time to focus on it. You have to find them the time. And so that is, and because we're, we know what we're doing, we're good at what we're doing, we have the tools, technologies, and methods, we're able to come alongside them and say, look, we're going to sit down and spend an hour with you and we're going to come back and we're, we're going to have this, this, and this. So, you know, again, it's, it's, it's the type of talent because these are, these, a lot of these things that we're doing are one-time events. Once you have them, in fact, it's kind of interesting. I'm doing some work this Friday with a client of mine that we did purpose, vision, mission, and values in 2004. And the CEO called me up recently and said, Kevin, we've lost focus. I need you to come back. Because the last time you were here, we went from 25 million to 75 million. Wow. Holy now cow. we're back down. Now we're back down into the 30 to 35 million dollar range. Now the recession had something to do with that. Mm -hmm. But why haven't we recovered? back up to that 50 to $75 million range. Mm -hmm. And he said, we've lost our focus. I need your help. So it's, those are the sort of things where it's, you know, it's, it's an investment that one just has to decide in and make going forward. So as we're kind of uh, winding down here, explain the chief leadership officer for us a little bit more. Cause I know you got that book. You've got also a couple other books that I'm going to put in the show notes. Um, but I think, you know, that is one of the cooler titles because that's what Tana had reached out to you for. Um, but, you know, explain what is your definition of that? Okay, well, a chief leadership officer is the next generation of what CEOs need to become. CEOs as a title and as a function are obsolete. They're based on the industrial age. Uh, they came out of the, the latter years of the Industrial Revolution and the Industrial Age. We're now in the digital age and the age beyond it excuse me, the age beyond the, the, the uh, information age is the age of purpose and meaning. So we've gone from, it's where we're headed. It's why, you know, a lot of the millennials, they talk about, oh, they want meaning and everything. Everybody's always wanted meaning. They just happen to be at the right time, at the right place at the right time where they can afford, where society can afford to have people pursue meaning. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a baby boomer and um, I'm telling you, they the same thing. The great generation, they had their purpose was fighting in World War II was sort of a thing that they were able to buy into, which was, you know, a big activity that was very meaningful. But, uh, you know, in, in many ways, what we're trying to do is say, look, 
there's a there's a new leadership style that needs to emerge and and the old school the the corner office has been the last place of innovation they want everybody else <laughs> to innovate except themselves okay and what i'm saying to the ceos is folks it's time somebody got in your face and said to you you're the problem it's your old school methods thinking and style which are causing all of these problems it's why you have dissatisfaction it's why you have people problems it's why you have uh the, the chaos you're in it's because you're doing business incompletely right you're doing a lot of things right but you're still doing business incompletely right is it the purpose that you've been talking about that they're missing or what are some of the main key characteristics that now, they're missing it starts with purpose. See, the problem is, is most people talk about purpose, but they don't have a system to build it into their organization. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they run their organization exactly what you're calling on the KPIs. They run it on numbers, financial statements, and KPIs and or power, uh, uh, an organizational chart. Mm -hmm. But they don't have a systematic way to put purpose, which is why they're in business to begin with, into their business. And, and so that's what the CLO integrity map does, is it gives them a map to say, here's how you take, you start with purpose and you end up all the way at a customer experience. That's awesome. So what, what happens if you're the CEO that is not capable of doing something like that? Call me. I mean, it's what we're doing is we're yeah. in the process of, you know, training people to do all this. I mean, it's, it's, and we're, we're trying to get it out there. That's why the book, read the book. I don't yeah. know. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. I, I don't expect people to be capable of it because, you know, we have an entire generations of generations that have been raised in the old school way. And so, I mean, part of what I'm trying to do is I, I, I mean, I know that I'm putting a stake in the ground five years from now, maybe 10 years from now, saying that, look, in the future, people who run businesses are going to be CLOs, not CEOs. But for now, we're in a transitional period. Mm -hmm. I don't have all the answers. I have a methodology. I have a map. I have tools. I have training i have you know all sorts of things that are there but it's still in its infancy well i mean just look at what's going on with all the news i mean you got travis from uh uber who got ousted you got i don't care whether you're a multi-billion dollar company or you're you know just a you know on the technical side of the e-myth i mean people everything's a commodity these days <laughs> so you have to have some sort of passion or purpose to uh, attract other people that are going to help change you and your customers. I don't know how else you could differentiate yourself. I would agree. It's very difficult to, otherwise you are just a, uh, a series of computers talking to other computers and uh, there's no heart and soul to your business. What, you know, as to, to leave us on uh, um, a pretty cool story, do you have a, a really good example of someone that has implemented a combination maybe of the CLO or the on purpose that have, that it really came out from a being stuck to, to changing them and their company? Yes. Um, I have a client of mine that's out in California. This is a few years back. Uh, it was a family owned, it is a family owned business, been around for 50 years. When they called me for the last 10 years, they had not made any money. They would have $100,000 profit, they'd lose 200,000. They, you know, it was, and they were doing 17 million in revenue. Um, I came out with them, uh, did a purpose, vision, mission, and value session with them, as well as then an overall assessment of their business and their strategy. Discovered that some things that they were doing uh, that they could do better is maybe the better way to describe it. We did some training with their people, and they had a hundred and some employees. And we began to teach purpose 
vision, mission, and values throughout the whole company. Um, nine months later, I was in California on a different business trip, and I swung by to see them just to see how things were going. And the guy said to me, you know what? This year, we're on track to make $2 million. <laughs> same amount of money, same amount of sales, but we're going to make $2 million. And he said, all we did was implement what you told us, and it has made such a difference. And they, that, that next year, they went to like, uh, I think, $21 million, and they were $24 million. The last time I talked to them, they were $45 million in revenues. They had hired a CEO. The business was making money. They built another manufacturing facility. It, it, it was just a matter of making the shift to what was going on and deciding that this was a priority, that the, the well-being of their life, and that's really what it comes down to. You keep asking me, how do you find time? How do you mm -hmm. find time? It, it, you have to decide that the well-being of my life and my business and the people that I have stewardship and leadership of, that they are more important to the well. If they're doing well, then the business is going to do well. Mm -hmm. And so it's an attitude shift. That's got to be so rewarding. Just I, I'm just totally visualizing some make-believe scenario, but you inter interacting with them and you can see the sparkle in their face versus the like dread. I mean, like absolutely facial expressions aside from all the amazing, you know, financial growth, just the, the actual change in the demeanor has got to be just rewarding as I'll be on. I'll get out. Right. The other part of that that was interesting is I actually helped all, there were three brothers that owned this business and I was able to help all three brothers define what they did best. The subtitle to the on-purpose business person is doing more of what you do best, more profitably. And what's happening is most people are not doing more of what they do best, more profitably. So they're, they're, they're wasting their time away doing less profitable things, not doing what they do best. Mm -hmm. And for them, once I was able to get them personally aligned, then we could align the business and then we could, then we could complement them. So strategically, we were able to take the purpose, vision, mission, and values, then say, how do they fit in? And then where do they not fit in? And then who on the team can fit in around them? Or can we delegate, outsource, hire, whatever we need to do to make it all work? I love it. I absolutely love it. If there's one thing, uh, Kevin, that you'd highlight or reiterate to our listeners, what would it be? Know your two-word purpose. And you're gonna, you've got a website coming out that we're going to link we to that uh, will help our listeners actually go in there and do an exercise for that. So I don't know if yes. you want to explain that a little sure. bit. Just a real quick version of it. The, the website is onpurpose.me, uh, all one word, onpurpose.me. And um, what will happen is you go there, it's five bucks. You uh, sign up, you get a little video or a little message that talks about purpose and why it's important. And then you go to a tool that helps you write and decide what your two-word purpose statement is. And then after that, you get 10 emails that explain how to be on purpose with it. So it's something that I hope people will use with their employees. Part of what I'm trying to do is eradicate meaninglessness from the planet. Ooh, this, I like that. And this is part of what I'm trying to do to do that, make it so affordable that anybody can do it. I love it. What is, the, aside from that website, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Uh, generally through our website, which is onpurpose.com with, um, with or without the hyphen and get you there and you can email me. You can put that in the notes as well. Um, if people want to email me and get in touch, we're happy to connect up with them. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I had a blast. Hey, Ryan, it was just great to visit with you. Enjoyed it as well. Thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed the episode with Kevin. And I know it's a little bit more of a quote unquote mushy topic. However, being on purpose, I think in your business and in your life is unbelievably important because everything trickles down from there. So how you treat your employees, how you treat your vendors, where you're going with your vision and being able to put all of the decisions that you have to make as an entrepreneur in line into a greater roadmap for the vision of where your purpose is, I think is so important because otherwise you're going to end up being reactionary to all the decisions that you have to make along the way and not knowing how to benchmark whether those fit into your purpose-driven life or your business is very difficult without that roadmap. So a couple of my three my three main takeaways uh, from my conversation with Kevin are the number one thing is the greatest fear of being the fear of exposure. And just from my own experience, you know, when we are running Imaging Path or even now at the current at, at Solidity, it's you have to have it all figured out so you think. And everybody looks at you like you're supposed to have it all figured out. But I think knowing your purpose and knowing where you want to go is much easier to show to everybody that you don't have it all figured out because then you're going to actually be able to sit down and, you know, be transparent and be real and authentic with your employees, with your vendors, with your family members. So just really accepting the fact that you don't have to have it all figured out, but knowing that you got assurance that you're going in the right direction that feels good and that aligns with your morals and values is huge. And then the second main takeaway I had, which I really enjoyed, and I don't know if I've ever really heard it phrased the way he did, but was the balance versus integration. And I think as entrepreneurs, and I'm more than guilty of it, is you try to have this balance where all of a sudden you go home and, you know, for me, I've got the young twins at home is just to shut it all off. And then just now I'm supposed to be present, but having an integration with everything, kind of like that prism he was talking about, because it you can't just shut things on and off, but making sure that it all weaves in and out seamlessly. So it feels comfortable is, is huge. And I think it has to do with understanding why you're doing everything. And back to that Simon Sinek, where if you know why you're doing it, you've got a purpose, then you can integrate the, your, your purpose and your, your business. Why all together, instead of having to have these very hard on and off switches that I, I find difficult to actually accomplish. And then the third one that I loved is how he termed helegation and is the state of not being able to delegate. I don't know if anybody caught that, but uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs that I work with, I've been guilty of it. I know some of our old uh, employees were guilty of it where you think you can, you have to do everything. And so you're in stuck in this hellhole where you can't delegate, but you don't have enough time to do it. So really realizing what's important and you might have to sacrifice some profitability or that that lost customer because you're teaching other people how to do it is huge. So getting out of that and being able to delegate and doing what it takes to delegate so you can win back your time and freedom from your business. So with that being said, hope you enjoy this episode and I'll see you next week. 